Hello, everybody. It's time for the Saundale and Redders pod, NDCA SD podcast. We have a couple of very special guests tonight. First of all, it's a welcome to the guru himself, Dan Saunders. G'day, Saundo. G'day, Redders. Great to be here. Um, it's an exciting time of season, week three of the finals. Um, yeah, everything's getting very interesting. Absolutely. Preliminary finals this weekend. The captain of the Warners Bay Career Club, Steve Grimshaw, is with us. G'day, Steve. How are you? G'day, guys. How you going? Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Not a problem. And coming on uh, just now, I believe you might have just come off the training track, waiting to see if there's a bunch of reprobates that look like the cast of Caddyshack behind him. I'm sure that there are. <laughs> Hello, man. How are you? It's Josh Moxie from the, the skip of the Port Seventh Pipers. Hey, Mox, how are you? Good evening, gentlemen. Pretty good. How are you, boys? Very well. Thank you. Very excited good, about good. a phenomenal weekend of cricket in the suburban districts. Dan, would you like to run through for our listeners uh, just a little bit of an agenda for the tonight, please? And we'll run through it. But let's let's give everybody, let everybody what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, so I guess the plan of attack is obviously we'll um, review the two semi-final fixtures uh, in Division 1 from across uh, the weekend just gone, which has taken us from six teams down to four. Uh, we'll preview the two preliminary finals. Um, I guess we'll, we'll cover the Merriweather Waterboard game. And then I guess we'll go in depth with the two skippers here of the opposing team's uh, Warners Bay versus Port Stevens Pythons. Uh, we'll then just briefly summarise the, the Division 2 through Division 7 preliminary finals or semi-finals, whatever you like to call them. Um, do a quick wrap of the John Ball Shield where the Suburban Districts Rebels um, brought the Shield home. And then um, I guess the much-anticipated weekly uh, Newcastle Chili Rose performance of the round recipient for this week. Now, and also, to our dear listeners, it looks like there won't be a Saundo soapbox this week because the, the guru's in a good mood. So we might not get a soapbox edition this week, which probably good for, <laughs> for the podcast, Shell, so I don't, get, I don't get slapped with legal suits. So anyway, we'll take it from there. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, the semi-final results last Saturday, the... 11th of March, the Rose Scholars after Dan Saunders texted me and said, I think they were none for 58 at drinks, all out 109. And the waterboard put the cleaners through them. The 110 for two they got in 26 overs, a very comprehensive semi-final victory. However, the Port Stevens Pythons piled on four for 251 in a semi, if you don't mind. Must have been a nice old belter at N33 Park. And CNB's made 149 in reply and almost 35 overs. Um, we'll go to Port Simmons Python second in this case. Dan, over to you. And gents, please feel free to rock in whenever you want. Dan, a very convincing performance by a dangerous waterboard side. Yeah, so we spoke with Adam Hardy from the Rogue Scholars and Mitch Cronin from the waterboard last week. It was great that they um, gave up the time to come on the, on the podcast. Um, as we alluded to, they hadn't met this season. They'd had two washouts. So this was their first clash of the season in a knockout semi-final. Um, Rogue Scholars won the toss and elected to bat. And, yeah, you rightly say, they went about their work. I guess it was heavy on their mind. They wanted to bat their 40 overs. Um, after 20 overs, they were no wickets down. Um, they only bet 58, I think, 54 on the board. Um, after drinks in 17 overs, they, they've lost about 10 for 50. Uh, Pat Considine, who... When he's been available for the Rogue Scholars this year, has been their best performer. Uh, he scored 60 out of that 109. So you take Considine's innings out, and the Rogue Scholars have probably saved one of their worst performances for what it mostly mattered in, in, in the finals. Now, mind you, they come off um, their final two weeks leading into the, into the final series. They defeated minor premiers Warners Bay, and they defeated um, uh, Pythons, I think. They beat the, yeah, they beat the Pythons at Islington. Yes, they did. Uh, in consecutive weeks, yeah. So their form run, run into the finals. You couldn't have asked for a better form, beating top teams in the top three. Unfortunately uh, for them, they went out, uh, in week one, they didn't score enough batting first against Warners Bay, and they got the runs pretty comfortably. And this has nearly been a mirror performance. Again, 109 all at 38 overs. Uh, the wicket chair, Bradley Richardson, not a name that we've mentioned too many times on the podcast for the waterboard, but four for 23. From his eight overs, two maidens there and no wides or no balls. So an impressive spell of bowling there by Brad Richardson. A couple of wicket seats to Osama Radford and Michael Rippon. Uh, and the run chase, they've gone about that in pretty usual waterboard fashion. Jacob Rippon's batted the innings, 32 not out from 66. Nathan Dunchy, 33. And then Cronin's come in a runner ball, 36. 
uh, with four boundaries and a six. Um, so fifth defeating fourth there. The Waterboard have now into the preliminary finals where they will meet Merriweather at Connolly Park this Saturday, which we'll talk about shortly. Can I just ask a question? I'll open it up to, to everybody here. I'm just a little curious. Um, why would the probably the sharpest and one of the better opening bowlers in the whole competition of all seven grades bowl 4.4 overs? I'm just just wondering if Mitch was okay. Um, I, I'm not asking for any trade secrets here, but no, no. I, I understand that Michael Ripper, Michael Ripper's one of the form bowlers in the whole competition. He's been brilliant in the back half of the season. But it seems a little odd that Mitch Cronin wouldn't have bowled uh, He's the skip. Why he wouldn't have bowled eight overs here? It's, it's just an interesting one to me. Just a little observation from looking at the scores. Yeah, there is a reason for that. I'm happy for Josh or Steve to take that to say they were alongside him on Sunday. It's all yours, yeah. Grimo. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, he was he was struggling on on um, Sunday morning. Then obviously that come out of the game on Saturday uh, had a slight rib issue, but. You know, he um, he dug deep and come in to bowl late on Sunday, late in that rep game, and he bowled really well as he always does. But yeah, I'm sure no, Mitch, he's a fighter, and he'll um, he'll be back, ready, raring to go on Saturday against Merriweather. Explains everything. So a comprehensive win. That's actually a, a thumping in a final uh, to chase down 110 in only 26 overs, and the waterboard on the up and up. Josh, over to you, my friend. 251 for four in a final, if you don't mind. Uh, the J Moxie's between them, 170 runs. It's just a terrific batting performance. And um, I note that Grant Garland opened the batting. That's a bit of a change-up. Yeah, he's sitting in the background too. He's probably stuck around just so he could hear some um, the superlatives go his way. But yeah, it was certainly a, a good batting wicket at um, 18.33. Uh, won the toss, no hesitation to bat out there, particularly with the heat as well, which affected a couple of us over the, the two days, me more than uh, everyone, I think. But, um, yeah, Grant, at the top of the order, replacing Lee for the weekend, did a fantastic job, got us off to a, a really good start, one for 54, and then allowed Jared to come in and just play his shot. So um, it was a fantastic effort. I think we lost late in last ball of the innings. So, you know, it was a really, really good innings all around. Um, from the boy, I think Lane was probably the only one that was really run a ball from, from ball one. So if we can just build on that this weekend, and I think that'll go a long way to to um, getting the bickies over Warner's base. Or you don't want to hear that, Grumo. But um, that was only half the job. Definitely the best batting performance we've put in all year, um, Redders. And then with ball in hand, they came out the blocks straight away. They had to. They had to go over six and over. So they got a little bit of... Um, Luck early, a drop catch and a couple of drop catches actually and, and raced away to about 60 off seven. And then once we got a wicket and we sort of got into our groove, we could just grind it out and, and work our way towards victory. But I was on the back of the spinners, mostly Jason Everly, another Pfeiffer and uh, and the guy from everywhere, the bars, Tyron Everly, um, with three as well. Uh, I was going to ask that. The, the, the Everleys have taken a stack of wickets between them. Did 18.33 grip and bounce a bit? No, that no, was just a good wicket. That was a really, really good batting wicket. And it is most weeks, to be honest. I think, as I said a couple of weeks ago, um, the Pride boys have had success out here, the Everly boys turning out here. Anyone who can bowl decent spin and just stick to their plans. Um, and probably the biggest thing, um, you know, trying to bowl spin on a good batting wicket is be prepared to take a little bit of stick. And we saw it on Sunday. We'll talk about John Bull later. But, you know, Jason Everly got hit for a couple of big bombs but stuck to his plan knew that if you just change a little subtle change of pace and, and trust his spin, you can get one past one and get a wicket. And he did on Sunday. So um, definitely not the, the wicket getting those eight wickets for the boys. It was just fantastic bowling. Very good performance. Saundo, uh, just, it's a, again, a comprehensive performance. Um, uh, I tell you what, one bloke who's had a pretty decent season for the C&Bs um, was Emma Mohamed uh, uh, Omar. Went for a few runs, but two for 40. And Dan, every week we seem to be talking about Omar taking three, four, two wickets. He's been very consistent, hasn't he? Yeah, look, a very good cricketer. And um, his stats would be a lot higher too. He, he didn't play as many games uh, as I guess he would have liked. His, the first half of the year wasn't as available for, for him. He also uh, ran out the skipper of the Pythons too. So he's handy in the field as well as a couple of wickets. 
Um, yeah, look, a quality cricketer. Um, quite, a, quite a number of quality cricketers at Carter Fuller. But congratulations to them. They finished sixth on the ladder. They had a big win there in week one of the finals. They come up against the rampaging Pythons lineup. Uh, to their credit, I was up there for the second half of that match watching the Carter Fuller innings. I think it was nine overs. They were no wicket for 60, early 60s, um, until uh, Jason Everly and I think Lake Neville might have took the first wicket, and Jason Neville just ripped through the middle order. Um, but again, their cavalier approach, it was you know, boundaries or wickets, basically. And um, they're in it for a good shake. But once they got to about five down, um, they lost a few wickets there. And yeah, 250 was always going to be a very tough mountain to climb. Um, again, Jason Everly, a great spell of bowling, five for 24, which uh, we'll talk about a bit later on. Torrid Everly, two for 33. Late Everly, one for 10. Um, yeah, and we've glossed over. Yeah, Jared, Jared Moxie's 93 off 77 balls. Um, caught in the first ball of the last over of the innings, uh, put in team before personal glory. Um, you know, dare say he had 100 beckoning. Uh, Josh, mate, I'm going to give you a wrap. A great patient captain's stop at the top of the order, 77 from 110. Uh, Grant went out there, whacked a few boundaries early. Late Neverly, I mean, an unsung hero of the Pythons. His last year's Division One uh, player of the final from memory too. Um, there's a lot of consistency there in his game. And um, I look forward to when we're shortly talking about uh, the clash between Warners Bay and the Pythons. But look, a great victory there to the Pythons. That was the sort of uh, comeback from their week one defeat for Merriweather I was expecting. Um, but again, it's all well and good to think, you know, or want to put plans in place, but to be able to execute. And that just... Yeah, that, that just shows the strength and the skill of the Pythons lineup. It does indeed. On to the preliminary finals this weekend. Both games at one o'clock. It's Warners Bay and Port Stephens, which is an electric preliminary final at Fay and Oval number one. And then Merriweather, the Merriweather Lions are hosting the water board at Connolly Park. Saundo, Steve and Josh will talk Warners Bay and Port Stephens first. This is a potentially a fantastic game of cricket. There's so much talent on either side of the ledger here. It's going to be a cracking prelim final. Uh, guys, go for your life. I'll mute for a minute and um, let you fellas talk us down. You might want to talk us through where we're, we're going, but give, give Steve and Josh an opportunity to talk about the game. Definitely. Well, kick things off. So Warners Bay are hosting the Pythons at Fay and Oval on Saturday. So the two previous clashes this season in round four and round 13, Warners Bay won uh, both fixtures. Um, fair to say convincingly too, Well. Uh, in round four at Fay and Oval, Warners Bay batted first. We actually live streamed that game. It's the only game we got to live stream in suburban districts this year. Five for 191 on the back of 72 not out from Byron Jensen, 37 from Kane Bradley. Uh, Jason Everly, the pick of the bowls, two for 23. Uh, the Pythons were bowled out for 124 in reply. Late Neverly, 29. Josh Richardson, 26. Uh, wicket shared, Grant Reardon, three for two. And Byron Jensen, Simon Smith, a couple of wickets each. In round 13 at Python, 1833 Park. The Pythons batted first, were bowled out for 119 in the 40th over. Uh, Jared Moxie, 42, late Neville again, uh, 22. Matt Riding, 4 for 18. Clint Goodchap, 4 for 21. Warners Bay chased the runs down with eight overs up their sleeve, but seven down. Uh, but Kane Bradley, 25. Giles Manley uh, with a half century, 56. And then Jason Neville again, the pick of the bowlers, 3 for 34, with Tyrod Everly and Brock Hawley, a couple of wickets each. Um, I guess I'll open it up. I mean, a lot will depend on, I guess, teams will be as, as full strength as they possibly can be. But I guess a question I want to ask both captains is because both teams have got match winners across the board. And I know I asked this question last week to um, Adam and Mitch, but is there any one player that stands out to you that like you need to either target with the bat to take on with the ball or that wicket that, we get that wicket, we can sort of really rip the heart out of this team. Yeah, look, I'm happy to have it start. Um, look, we I've played plenty of cricket against the Pythons and with the Pythons guys, and you know you can't take them lightly. One to eleven, they they move their order around, and they still they still uh, they still bat well. So I'm assuming they'll have Lee back opening this week, um, but if you know. Whoever they throw out, we've just got to bowl well. And um, and we did that. When we went up to um, 1833, we we bowled probably the best we have all year. And um, we do go into these big games and um, with the right attitude. So hopefully we turn up and 
all our boys are on song again and we just do the job that we know we can do. So yeah, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna target batters, how can you go past the Moxie brothers? They're both in good form. Obviously coming off some good runs last week. Josh batted well again on Sunday. Um, Lee can get him away to a good start, so we'll be targeting him early. And and then obviously you've got you've got guys right down the middle order, Grant Garland and Late Neverly batted well on Saturday. And the way I seen him bat on Sunday, if we take him lightly, he can take the game away from us as well. So yeah, we'll just bowl to our plans the whole day. And you know, after 40 overs, hopefully we've restricted their runs and we think we've got the batters to chase them down. Or if we bat first, we'll put some runs on and put them under pressure with the ball. Joshua. That's a good, good way to sit on the fence there, Grimo. You didn't, yeah. I think, name 13 players. <laughs> the one. It was, um, it was pretty good, wasn't it? That was actually a pretty good summary. <laughs> so, um, Look, I'll try and uh, be a little bit more direct. I think the, uh, the big wicket, I think everyone would probably say Giles Manley, but I think it's in the middle order. I think for us, we've got to look at, uh, depending if, if Byron's playing, but Byron and Kane Bradley, the two big ones. Kane's always got runs against us. So um, I think that's the key key for us in those middle middle period to get those wickets. And with the ball, um, after playing some bash with him and seeing him getting Blake McDonald, let's just go Jesse Bellenden just to throw a curveball. I'm not going to say you, Grimmer. No yeah. chance. <laughs> Dan, can I chip in here? Yeah, of course. I think there's some interesting battles here. And one of the interesting things will be that it's going to be leading into this game days of 33, 34, 35 leading in. So um, we know the outfield will be lightning. The pitch should be very good. Uh, Steve, uh, I, I don't believe I'm speaking out of school. There have been one or two games lately that have had very early um, rainfall on a Saturday morning that have affected that pitch. But I think that the deck will be good, very good. It should be with the weather we've got. Yep. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Warners Bay target and how they go about managing Port Stephen spin, spin trio and who they do, they, whether there's one that's targeted or how they go about it because they're all match winners on their day. The other one is that I think the key wicket in the entire match, and this is, this is me talking, guys, no one else, I think the key wicket in the entire game out of all 22 players is Giles Manley. If Manley gets runs, he sets Warners Bay uh, have picked up Giles Manley this year, and he's been nothing short of outstanding. So I'm going to say that that's, that's I think there are the little battles within the battles. Can Ballenden go and bowl at two and two and a half at Grimmy himself? And can their meds bowl at two and a half and three and over and really put the, the, the shackles on? And, uh, which, and I think Fane's a very hard ground to defend because it's so big and it's so quick. In some ways, it reminds me of Newcastle number one sports ground, guys, with its dimensions and the speed of the outfield. So, Dan, that's just my little bit. I, that, that's where I see it. But I'll be fascinated to look at the figures uh, of the uh, all three Everleys at the end of the day to see how, how they went and how Warners Bay went about playing them, Saunders. Yeah, no, very well said. And again, just some stats here. So, I've printed off the run scorers and wicket takers for the season, Division One. It was just some interesting. Um, you know, statistics are how you choose to interpret them. Um, but Jared Moxie, at this point, the leading run scorer in Division 1 with 592 runs, an average of 42.29. And Josh Moxie's third with 481 runs, an average of 34.36. Now, these stats are based on what's in my cricket. They're not accurate. Speak to your club secretaries. The second leading run scorer in the comp is Giles Manley with 573 runs, but at an average of 81 0.86. It doubles pretty much the next player. Now, that really uh, illustrates what Red has said, that he is a very important wicket. Um, if we go down the list, Kane Bradley is the ninth leading run scorer in the grade with 348 runs at 21. Um, and if we look further at Drift, Lee Williams, 270 at 22 for the Pythons. We've got Grant Reardon with 266 runs and Scott Burns, 258 for the year, all inside the top 15. Both teams can bat 40 overs. Both teams can post an intimidating total. Both teams have proven that this year. Um, and Warners Bay, even in the first game against the Pythons, what was it? They put on 180-odd batting first down there at, at Fayen. I think this game, honestly, is going to come down to the toss. It's an interesting call. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope not, because I'm coming off eight losses in a row on the toss, but... <laughs> 
You must be a Parramatta fans, Grimmy. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we'll see how we get enough. I, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> miss, I couldn't miss that opportunity with the plague in it yeah. in forty-five minutes. But I'm sure, your your mate Jimmy Newburn stitched up on that one. We'll sit no, no, that's just me all alone, not Jace. Yeah. <laughs> Jace, Jace will be sitting back enjoying. Yeah, guys, look. look yeah. Can I just, can I just say to both of you? Very best of luck. I think this is going to be an amazing game of cricket. This could be one of those games that goes to a quarter to six or six o'clock and goes 78, 79 overs. It really could be. It could. Uh, for mine, this is, I think whoever wins this is, it will be a slight favourite to go into the grand final. I'm not sliding our two sides, but I just I just think this has got enormous written all over it. I wish, we, we certainly wish you all luck. The best, best wishes. It's going to be nice and warm. There won't be any rain rides or anything like that happening. It'll be it'll be decided on the field the way it should be. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty sure if we went back to the first podcast of the season, I'm confident. I'm not sure if I said it publicly, but I, I know it's it's been stated. But this game, I predicted Sally would actually be the grand final. I thought it you did. They, no, 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 you did. No disrespect to any other teams in the competition, but as things started at the start of the year, um, Warner's Bay v Pythons, I thought would be this year's Division One grand final. Uh, we're getting in a week early. It's it's unfortunate both teams can't make it. Uh, this is going to be just a ridiculously cracking game of cricket. Um, there's obviously a lot of respect between both teams, so there'll be minimal crap. It'll be just a good, hard-fought game of cricket, and the best team on the day will win. So, Grimmy, Box, mate, all the best, guys. Um, and, yeah, I... I I mean, I've got a soft spot for both clubs, so it's, it's going to be bittersweet, um, the result of this game. Um, but, yeah, I just hope it's a good, hard game of cricket. The weather's looking favourable, so that shouldn't come into calculation. So, uh, yeah. Just... Unlike, unlike last March, when we were over in his arc, we're going down the boulevard at Warner's Bay. <laughs> On to the other preliminary final. This game's at Connolly Park, and this is a fascinating game of cricket because there's... But Merriweather's got everything to lose, and Waterboard, you know, they're going to come out and go hard at them. Merriweather and Water- West Waterboard, this game's at Connolly Park. Dan, again, look, please let us away. Oh, I do think here, again, that this is two different, these are two constra- contrasting styles. Merriweather will grind and play away and play attritional cricket, and West Waterboard have got some explosive fellas that can take a game away from you in half an hour. Saundo, so, to start off with, uh, this this game also is another cracking prelim final. Okay, so as the competition ladder at the end of the season, Merriweather finished second. Uh, they're playing the West Waterboard, who finished fifth. They've met twice this season in round eight at Hexham Park. Uh, Merriweather had a convincing win over Waterboard. They batted first, batted their 40, got eight for 166. Tim Cameron scored 66, and Adam Britt with 24 at the end. Uh, ben Jurd, three for 18. Alex Jamnick, two for 36. Rolled waterboard for 101 inside 28 overs. Matt Heriot scored 34 and Jacob Rip on 21. So 55 of their 100 come from two batters. Uh, Adam Britt and Ben Troke both took three for 17. Um, in the return clash at Connolly Park and ran 17, this was that very much talked about tired game of cricket. Merriweather again batting first, all out in the 40th over for 172. Lee Harris, who's had a big second half of the season, scored 55. Mitch Pillar, 35. Uh, and Jared Marlborough, 24 at the end of the innings. Uh, Asama Radford took three for 26 and Mitch Crone at three for 28. Uh, the waterboard, uh, all out for 172 and 38 overs. Now, we do remember, I think they lost was at six for eight. Um, that will weigh on their mind. You can't sort of forget a result like that, especially when that's only been about four weeks ago. Now, that 172, Nick Dunphy scored 68. Uh, John Crace, 41. Paul Dan took five for 26, including a hat-trick and two wickets apiece to the Pride brothers, Stephen and James. Um, Again, Redders, you've hit the nail on the head. Two very contrasting styles. Merriweather, both games against them and all season. Batting first, 99 times out of 100, bat their 40 overs. If Merriweather bat first and bat their 40 overs, I see them being too strong in this fixture. Because if they bat their 40 on Connolly Park, they'll score 160, 170 plus. And I think that's a bare minimum score that they'll need. Um the waterboard Dale, Mitch Cronin, a lot will depend on his, his rib cartilage injury. I guarantee he'll bowl his eight overs if they're needed. Uh, Michael Rippon's had a great year with the ball with his leg spin, taking wickets and being pretty economical. Um, Osama Radford's taken a few wickets. If we just have a look at some stats here, um, Kyo Rourke and Michael Rippon have both taken 22 wickets um, for the season. And 
with a batting for the Waterboy Mitchell Cronets with 441 runs at 40. He's the fourth leading run scorer. And Jacob Rippon, uh, 292 runs, an average of just under 21, the 11th leading run scorer. With Merriweather, a lot of consistency in there. Paul Dan, 393 runs at 28. Uh, Jason Cratton, 253 runs at 23. Tim Cameron, 247 at 18. With the ball, though, Jason Cratton, 30 wickets at 11. And Adam Britt, now Adam Britt missed the last four rounds with a broken finger. He played in the week one final against the Pythons when they were successfully. Copped a bit of stick early. Josh went after him, targeted him. Said a, they said a six to seven week recovery for his broken finger. He came back after four to play in that game. He's now had another fortnight off. I'm led to believe that he's all but fully recovered. Now, he had 26 wickets at an average of 9.9. And then you've got the Pride Boys with the ball as well, plus Ben Troke. So, again, it's... If if the waterboard can win the toss and bat first and they can post a significant total, I think they have the bowling that can restrict Merriweather and bowl them out. But I think if Merriweather bat first... Um, I think Merriweather, there's too much experience in that team. They, they are an older team across the park. Rowan Kelly, Jason Pratton, the Pride Boys, um, Paul Dan, with the waterboard a bit younger. I, I just think Merriweather might have a few too many tricks in their kit bag if things get down into the trenches. Um, but on the flip side, waterboard have that ability. If Cronut goes off, James Earl goes off, uh, Ripon can get a few through them. Um, well, they've made the semifinals. It's a... It's a that's a 50-50, but I just think if Merriweather can bat first and bat their 40, I think they'll be too strong. And if Waterboard can set a total, I think they can I think they can defend it. Look, great summation. I don't need to say too much there. Over to Steve and Josh here. Guys, how do you see this one going? Um, I know it's a bit hard to to, to make a tip because I suppose people listen to this and they might use it against you, but do you, do you agree with Dan's summation of, as, as to how we think this game will go? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with everything that Dan said. I'm not going to sit on the fence and I'm not afraid to upset friends in either camp. So I'm happy to uh, shoot my mouth a little bit here. I think Waterboard might just have enough firepower to upset Merriweather. And I think part of that will be Mitch Cronhart and Michael Rippon coming back off the John Bull final on Sunday. Um, what I saw off Mitch with the bat, and then with the ball late in the innings, um, and also Michael, is that they wanted it. They wanted to win. They wanted to be in the fight. And that's not saying anything against Merriweather. All those players obviously will want to be there too. But for some reason, my gut's leaning towards Waterball. Um, again, cricket's a funny game. So, you know, everything that Saunders said might be right. You know, maybe Merriweather bat first, and they put a score on and they get Mitch early and it's game over. But um, if I was a betting man, I'd put some money on Waterboard this Saturday. Stephen, yeah, look, I'm I'm going to disagree with Josh there. Excellent, just like, just, just like I did with the summation <laughs> of his game or our game on Saturday as well. Um, I'm actually going to tip Merriweather because I um I think if they get runs on the board, I just think the the Pride Boys with their experience, they could really hold down that middle order and that could change the game. So that's that's where I see Merriweather winning it. But you know, um, <laughs> playing with Mitch on Sunday and you know the level of maturity that he's sort of playing with at the moment, he dug in and if he gets big runs, he's got a lot of guys around him that'll stick with him. So, yeah, tipping Merriweather, but I think it's going to be a close one and, you know, we'll uh, hopefully, uh, obviously, uh, we'll meet the winner in the the week after. (laughs) Very good, gentlemen. No, thank you. um, For me, I I won't sit on the fence. Uh, I think Waterboard will win. I think they're very explosive. Um, and I think that they can take a game from you very away from you very quickly. I've noted that the word experience of finals is for me is a harmonious thing. Um, I've noted what you said, but I think Waterboard will get home. I, I think I also think they're on this amazing uh, ride at the moment. I also know that this game could have a bit going in it. This game could be quite feisty. Uh, there are reasons for that, but. We were talking along earlier on how Warner's Bay and Port Stevens had a lot of respect for one another. Not so sure that um, that may be the same case here. So just expect, ladies and gentlemen, there could be some absolute fireworks and bring it on. That's great because that's what final screen it's all about. Sauna yeah, to, to, to finish us off and then and, and move us towards our, our, the next section of our podcast tonight.
Yeah, I, I think whichever team can focus on playing cricket will win, will win that semi-final. There, there will be a, a bit of emotion around it. It's, there's no hiding it. Um, there's you know, been, been some history there, and, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, but whichever team can um, you know, block, block out, I guess, the uh, extracurricular activity and focus on the game at hand, I think we'll, we'll get home. And again, if I had to pick a winner, I just and – I, and I guess I go back to all my years of playing. Like I'm a, I'm a I'm grimy sort of uh, vintage, so he'll know where I'm coming from this. But, you know, Merriweather just – they just find a way. And it, as a player, it was frustrating. Now sitting – having the beauty of sitting back and, and, and just being able to watch the game and enjoy it without any um, bias. Uh, look, Waterboy, they've been fantastic. Um, Mitch Cronin, what, what a revelation he's been the last couple of seasons. We'll talk about the rep stuff shortly. Um, but yeah, again, it, we're using the word if. If he can have another big game, yeah, he, he can bring that team home. Again, Michael Ripon's had a great year. I think the rep scene's really lifted his game. Uh, James Earl's been very consistent with bat and ball. I mean, they've got blokes in there. J- Jacob Ripon scored 100 this year. I think we mentioned there before... Um, was Dunchy Harriet that scored runs this year, um, but I, I just, I just lining the gate, the teams up. I just have to go with the experience of Merriweather. Um, they'll, they'll find a way. I, I think to close the game out. And of course, the other thing is there. I just, it, it's not leaving my mind. So it would have to be on the waterboard's mind the way that last game, how basically the unlosable position for that to end up a tie, and and that tie cost them a top four spot. So they'll have plenty to play for, I guarantee it. I mean, it's if there was ever a time you want to be in two places at once on Saturday, Bayern 1 and Connolly Park's it. Um, but, yeah, Merriweather in, in a very hard-fight game of cricket. Oh, I'm expecting to hear something yet when I'm at Newcastle number one on Saturday. I reckon the, the sound will come across from Connolly. It'll be going, it'll be on for young and old. Thank you, gentlemen. Dan, over to you, sir. Please keep us moving on. I know you've got a series of things to discuss tonight. Okay, so I know the majority of the time we focus on Division One, but it is a and so it's a competition. There are seven divisions, so all seven grades are now playing preliminary finals or semi-finals, however we want to call it. We're we're down to four in all seven grades. The winner of both uh, fixtures on the weekend in each grade will meet in the grand finals next week. So, just want to give a shout out to um. So in Division 2, the minor premiers, the current and gravity riders, are hosting uh, second-place Port Stephens Pythons at Pat Jordan Oval. And third-place Premier Hotel, uh, they had a, a, they beat second in round one. So they're hosting uh, the team that finished fourth, Glendale Old Boys at Adamstown 2. In Division 3, now here's, here's where the top eight final series is fantastic. Minor premiers, Maryland Fletcher, are hosting the seventh-place Newcastle City at Tuxford Park. So Newcastle City have gone bang, bang. Giant killers in Division 3. They're one win away from a grand final from seventh spot. In the other uh, final, Warners Bay, who finished second, are hosting the team that finished four, Beach Hotel. And that is a replay of last year's Division 3 grand final, which Beach Hotel won by a handful of runs with a very good grand final. In Division 4, the minor premiers, Westlake's Renegades, they've had a mortgage on this Division 4 competition. They're hosting the third-place Beresfield Memorial at Tredenic Oval and the second-place Warners Bay. Uh, they'll be playing another giant killer, the Dukes, who finished eighth. They scraped in the eighth spot in Division 4. They've gone bang-bang in back-to-back weeks and are now one game away from eighth spot to being in a grand final. That game's at Lyle, one at Redhead. Division 5, minor premiers Maryland Fletcher are hosting second-place Valentine Elibana Gold. That's at Caraca out at Fletcher. And third place, Valentine Elibana Gray are hosting the Stockton Generals. And that's at Ernie Calland out there at Gateshead. In Division 6, minor premiers, Warners Bay are hosting third place, Fort Stevens Pythons. So we got Warners Bay v, v Pythons in Div 1 and Div 6. That game's at Lyle 2 at Redhead. And the second place, Waratah Mayfield District Cricket Club are hosting the fourth place, Stockton Washington's at Waratah 5. And in Division 7, the Adamstown Hunters, who are heads and shoulders uh, minor premiers in Division 7, they'll be playing the fourth place, Valentine Elibana Red at Adamstown 4. And the second place, Maryland Fletcher, will host the third place, Club Charlestown Bin Chickens. They're an affiliate of the Warners Bay Club. And that's being held at Upper Reserve at Walls End. So good luck to all those teams across the grades playing in their uh, semi-final or preliminary final this Saturday. Um, 
hopefully some of those games will, will have umpires, um, official umpires representing. Um, you'll just, that's back on the, the NDC UA, uh, the availability of umpires, and then they'll just ferry them down and say, be it. But again, everyone play hard, play fair, and may the best team win on the weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, well done, Dan. Ladies and gentlemen, a completely extraordinary John Ball Shield final was played on Sunday. Um, I still chuckle when I think of the venue, but that's another matter. This game was played at Howe Park at Singleton, and there's there's some there's some smiles in the background. I feel free to say this: I cannot believe that a game between Cessnock and Suburban Districts, where Suburban Districts were minor premiers, was played up at Singer. I've got nothing, I've got no problems with going to Singer. Love going there for footy, but it just doesn't make sense. The, the, the smart money would have been to play this game at a good ground in Maitland because Maitland's got plenty. Anyway, it's done. what's done's done. Suburban District's batting first after being seven for 117, courtesy of a late Neverly and Jeremy Rushford undefeated partnership of um, 93, ended up seven for 210 off 50 overs. And then there'll be some fascinating stories here. Cessnock, Cessnock, got to nine for 210 off their 50 and their last wicket partnership put on 40. So what an amazing game of cricket. Gents, over to you. Talk to us through what actually happened. Um, top scorer for the Suburban Districts, Mitchell Cronin, at Sublime 71. Leighton Everly, 45 not. Jeremy Rushford, 44 not. And Josh Muxham made 34. Guys, talk us through, the first of all, the Suburban Districts batting. I'll leave that one. I'll leave the bowling up to you, Grimo. Um... Yeah, we well the game was delayed a little bit for some uh, some water on the wicket, so it was a bit of a wet deck and lost the toss and got sent in, which I didn't think would be playing that much um, into their hands, but it certainly did. We lost um, it was hard to bat early and lost Tim Cameron and Jared Moxie in the same over, so Jared for a duck and we were sort of reeling a little bit at two for twenty. We probably got the score sheet in front of us, read us, but um, two for fourteen. Two for fourteen. Two for 14. So, yeah, it felt, felt even worse than what I thought it was. So, um, And then Mitch Cronut came out and he allowed me just to sort of noodle the ball around and, and let him take on the bad ball, which he does really, really well. So I think we put on a probably about a 70-run stand or something around that and, and got us into a good position. And then we lost a couple of wickets really, really quickly. And then you touched on the – it literally was a, a match-winning uh, partnership between Leighton Everly and uh, Jeremy Rushford where – I think they came together with about 17 or 18 overs to go. Um, and at that stage, we were sort of thinking, oh, if we can just get a 160, we've got something to bowl to, which would have been very, very short in the end. But, um, yeah, they batted fantastic. They, uh, Leighton in particular, just wait, bowed his time. He waited for the for bad balls and sort of anchored that innings. And, and Rushy just came on and he had a couple of big sixes and, and took on uh, took advantage of free hits and things like that. And, and he uh, really took the that last sort of last 10 overs away from the Cessnock boys. So to, to get the 210 from where we were, you know, early on at two for 14 and then seven for 114 or whatever it was, was um, a fantastic, um, a fantastic achievement, I thought. Bit of a licorice all sports for Cessnock main bowler, Joseph made eight overs, two maidens, four for 49. So six overs have cost him 49. And in that a three noes. And it sounds like he's noes might have gone for a few. So a bit of a mixed bag there, but, a good performance with the bat, and as, as Josh said, bit in the track early on. Stephen, um, talk us through this. Steve Grimshaw himself, very tidy as always. One for 27 off nine. The leading bowlers, Michael Rippon, three for 32 uh, off 10, and Jason Neverly, three for 62 off 10. Uh, Stephen, talk us through the bowling card. Yeah, before I do that, I'd, just, I'd like to say, as Josh with the bat, himself and Mitch just bat patiently, and the bad balls they put away, and then a few of us didn't really trouble the scorers at all. And um, what an what an awesome effort by Leighton and Rushy to put us in a position where we could actually bowl to a score. So it was it was a cracking cracking batting innings to um, to watch. But yeah, bowling they got off to a bit of a flyer. Um, it took us a little bit while to get into our rhythm, but once we did, we were in the fight and we got consistent wickets the whole way through. It's uh, yeah, there wasn't many chances. I don't think we missed many chances. Every Everything that come at us, we, we took. So we kept ourselves in the game with some good fielding and it was a good catch as Josh took some great stumpings behind the stumps. You know, when they were getting eight and then nine down with 40 to go, we we thought we were in it. But in in every every game like this, 
you can't you can't rest on your laurels and they they batted all the way down um and you know 11 off the last over they they just waited and waited for the ball they wanted to hit and when I seen that last one go over, uh, I thought it was going for six. So they needed a six to win it and went for four. And, you know, it was a, it was a funny feeling walking off the ground. And Josh was saying, it's all right, fellas, we've won it. We've won it. And, um, but yeah, look, to win the Shield, just a, a testament to a great season. We've used a lot of players this year um, across, what, five, five games, including a massive win in Scone. So to beat Cessnock at home by one wicket was probably the one that set us up for the Shield. So, um, you know, a good job by all. There's, I'm not sure how many was in the squad, but everyone that contributed or played contributed. So at some stage, so great to be part of. Um, yeah, it was good to be part of the game. But yeah, funny feeling when we walked off the ground. But once we got the Shield in our hands, we uh, we certainly enjoyed it. Some great photos on social media of that. And, of course, Suburban Districts became the champions because they were the minor premiers and were higher on the ladder. Um, guys, just just a couple of quick points. of Just looking at the, the figures here, 20 wides. 20, that's not great. Were there any five wides in those? No, I wouldn't let five go to the fence, Redders. <laughs> oh, it's not to get that much you can do if someone bowls one that's an idiot and it goes six foot long outside leg stump, Moxie. Even yeah, go-go no. gadget, Moxie can't stop that. No, no. It certainly wasn't that, Redders. Um, what it was, particularly at the end of the, the game, or particularly late never, he was cramping really bad and was bowling towards the end. So when that happened, he started just to spray a few and I think the heat sort of got to a few of us a little bit, so... We were probably not as disciplined with the ball in hand, but as Drimo said, we didn't miss a chance. We, we held on to the ones that mattered, the catches and, and stumpings themselves. So, um, but yeah, there's a couple of instances where, you know, thankfully we, we took over the shield, but there was a one short when Rushy and, uh, and Lake were batting. So that could have been a, a straight up win and we could have celebrated the shield a little bit harder. Um, a couple of, you know, obviously lots of wides. Um, yeah. Just, just happy to come home with the shield. Congratulations, man. It's a great performance. And we must note Brent Watson's performance batting at 10 for Sextoff, 34 not out of 26 with one and one. And his number 11 partner, Luke Sweeney, 11 off 18 doesn't sound much, but it's absolutely priceless. But I've got to give credit to Sestock. They dug deep. Uh, you'd rip through the middle order after their own. Mark Pacini had made 55. No one else made more than 18 until it got down to Watson at the death. Mm. And as Josh said, it was actually a very warm day. I ended up down on the Central Coast um, on on Saturday, on Sunday, sorry, and it was very, very warm. But God only knows what it was like in Singer. Goodness me, down there. So, guys, from all of us, congratulations on bringing the John Bull Shield back to the Suburban District team. That's a sensational performance from Dan and me. Sincere congratulations, and you deserve every bit of that. Well done, men. Thank you, boys. You know, well done. And I'm led to believe that trophy has been well and truly looked after and been receiving plenty of cuddles and kisses each night at the venue. It's apparently our uh, house that. Oh, I would believe it would be, yeah. Probably tucked in the bed. Mm-hmm. Some tea head might have a partner. I was about to suggest, is <laughs> that at tomato the house juice of, on is, the bedside is, table? Is that, is, that, is that at the house of the not-so-grandmaster chess player? Yeah, very good. And, and it's probably a, a good shout-out to, to um, and we probably haven't mentioned it, yes, let's to go. The, work that, the work that Ray Rutten put in to organise this team week after week. And, and that's a challenge, pulling players pulling out late with injury on a Saturday night, trying to get sides together, especially that trip to Skane, which was a massive win. And Dave Absalom turning up as our official scorer every game and our biggest supporter, obviously, so, yeah, I'd love to thank those guys for their efforts. And they also got us over the line, I think, in the end. Guys, I, I, this is only a half joke. I've heard so many good things about Ray Rutten this year. They should ask him to get involved with the zone men's side. Seriously, he sounds like an absolute gem. He really does. And I'm, that's only half joking. I'm, uh, from what I understand, he is, he's meticulous and has done an enormous amount of work. I know Dan's not in and it's great that you mentioned them both. Um, they're both very good men. And David Absalom's a personal friend. I don't know Ray Rutten, but the things I hear about him, he sounds like an outstanding cricket person. So, well done all. Congratulations. Saundo, over to you, my friend. Well, I guess it's that time of the podcast where we announced this week's um, 
Thorn Allen Redders uh, Celebrity Series podcast, Newcastle Chili Brothers performance of the round. For Indeed, and if we, do, if we do this within the next 10 or 11 minutes, Grimmy could go and watch Parramatta get Pogo to Brookvale. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, look, um, obviously less games last weekend due to being the final sis, uh, format. Um, I'm going to work my, up for, work my way up from the bottom. So in Division 7, Colin Ward from the Club Charlestown Bin Chicken scored 82 uh, with six fours. That was their, their victory on the weekend. So well done to Colin. Uh, Dean Johnston from the Maryland Fletcher, a former winner of the uh, Newcastle Chili Brothers uh, Performance of the Round Award. He scored 86 for Maryland Fletcher in their game on the weekend. Uh, in Division 4, Connor Rafton for the Ferrisfield Memorial Cricket Club scored 82 not out, bad in the innings um, of 105 balls with eight boundaries. Got Ferrisfield Memorial home against a journeyman, I believe, there at Hexham Park, um, locking in a semi final, a preliminary final spot for Ferrisfield Memorial. In Division 3, Interesting performance here. Daniel West from the Beach Hotel opening the batting against the Merriweather Nepalese. Scored 94 runs off 70 balls, scoring 13 fours and two sixes. Was also part of a 151-run opening stand with Morgan Lewis from the Beach Hotel, who scored 89 runs off 78 balls, nine fours and three sixes. Great effort there. Um, we mentioned earlier, Jared Moxie, 93 off 77 balls, four, seven fours and three sixes. Uh, he shared a 131-run second-wicket partnership with uh, his brother, Josh, who scored 77 himself of 110 with six fours. But this week, the Newcastle Chili Bros performance of the round awards going to the only bowling performance of the round. And it's going to the veteran, the Silver Fox, the Meerkat. It's going to Jason Everly. Eight overs. One maiden, five for 24. Now, to put that into context, apart from being the only five-wicket haul on the weekend, he came into the attack when Carter Pullaroo were no wicket for 62 off nine overs, chasing 250. Pace on the ball was going the journey. He's produced an epic spell of bowling, put the brakes on the innings immediately and consistently took wickets. Um, it was a pleasure to be there to watch it. And in a weekend full of runs, Jason Everly, he gets the nod this week. He is the uh, Newcastle Chili Brothers performer of the round. He'll, uh, he'll get himself three bottles of chili sauce, flavours at his discretion from the awesome range from our sponsors in Newcastle Chili Bros. So um, well done to Jason. And, yeah, the award just keeps on keeping on. Did you call him the meerkat? That's uh, a name that they call him. <laughs> That's very good. I like yeah. that. He's really, really good. Josh Moxie may be able to give some context to it. Uh, it's because when he starts his run-up, he just pokes his head up like a meerkat. And it started It started about... <laughs> Grimo's probably seen it now that uh, <laughs> that said it. But, uh, yeah, that's probably a 15, 20-year nickname. But it's, it's that good, Red, is that our uh, first 11 mascot isn't a python. It's actually Simples the meerkat that's been painted. I was going to say, does Simples get a mention? Yes, <laughs> yeah. So, um, keep you laughing. Tyron Everly's known as the mere kitten because he also bowls finger spin like his meerkat father. So, well, Warner's Bay got one of them. They call him Boise. That's very good. <laughs> that's really, really good. Uh, that's excellent. So, congratulations, Jason Everly. Guys, thank you so much for giving up your time on a Thursday night um, to share with us our, on, on our podcast. We're really a privilege to have you both on. Uh, just from me before I get over to Dan to summarize as well. Best of luck to everybody. I hope everybody gets injury for, gets through injury free. But may the best teams win, and I hope you all have a great day. But again, um, thank you for honouring us by coming on our podcast. It's wonderful to have you here, and congratulations on beating John Bull champ, John Bull Shield champions for 2023, guys. Thank you from me before I hand over to Saunders. Oh, thank you, Redis. Yep, thanks, mate. It's a pleasure to come on, and I think I said it last year, but it's always, um, you know, what you two boys are doing for cricket in our side of the competition has been massive. So, um, you know, on behalf of all the Suburban District players, I think Grimo will probably not give a thumbs up, but um, thank you for all you guys do week in, week out, promoting our competition. So, straight back at you, big boy. 
that's very nice. Thank you. But it's the, all credit to, to Dan. I'm just a facilitator. Saundo drives this and he's just done a superb job. But thank you for the, the very, the, those words are humbling and thank you very much. Saundo, yeah. over to you to, fi to finish off, my friend, and then I'll give the Cheerios and everyone, I'm going to go and watch Richmond and hopefully uh, Rich, Richmond get resold by Carlton at a sold out MCG in a sec. Yeah, look, thanks, Josh. Thanks, Grimmy. Look, I kind of was much appreciated. But, but again, it's, you know, we do this because we love it. It's the same, same thing we say most weeks. Um, look, good luck to both teams and also to Merriweather and the waterboard on the weekend, along with the teams in Division 2 through Division 7. Um, look, it's a shame only one team can win this fixture on the weekend. They're two great clubs um, who, you know, the, 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 the spirit of cricket flies high across both clubs. Um, and I guarantee win, lose or draw, those boys will be, you know, they'll be looking at their clocks, wondering whether the beers have got to stop the drive home. Um the game will be left on the park and, and, and yeah, think things will be things will be very good. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't have much else to say. It's um, it's just the one part of the year that, that's great, but it's also the frustrating part where you know, teams get eliminated week by week and we're getting down to the nitty uh, gritty. Um, I would like to say that uh, Redders, like last year, I'm hoping next week um, we'll be able to announce the unofficial Suburban Districts Division 1 Team of the Year. Um which is for nothing more than just to fill a bit of airtime as we'll be down to one game around instead of five. Um, so that'll be a bit of fun and certainly open up the banner for anyone who bothers to listen to our podcast. Um, but again, Redders, thank you for everything you do, mate. You, you downplay your involvement. Um, but this doesn't happen without you. So, And again, well done to the boys, the John Bull Shield. That, that's a fantastic achievement. Um, Stephen Elliott, Dave Absalom, Ray Rutten. You know, I, I know... You guys are on the park doing doing the job, but what it's meant to these guys off the park is, um, you know, meant just as much to the players. Um, you know, I'm, I couldn't be proud of you. It's it's like your kids, you know, bringing home an award or something from school. It's the, the effort's all gone in there. And well done to all. I think there were 23 players who played for the Rebels um, in the John Bull Shield. Um, I don't have the list in front of me, um, but to everyone who contributed to that campaign, well done and. I guess now that the, the, the battle is to defend the trophy. So that's a conversation for another day. But th thanks again for coming on, Grimmy, Josh Moxie, and Dave, once again, thank you. Thank you all. On behalf of Saundo, Grimmy, and Josh, from, from Dan and myself in particular, everybody enjoy your football tonight and enjoy your cricket this weekend. From us, it's bye for now. See ya.